Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man you may remember best from his playing days, a standout at Cameron University. Of course, now we know him as the head coach of the Kansas women's tennis team. Welcome on to the show, Coach Todd Chapman. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm good. I, I think you definitely gave me too big of a uh, <laughs> a shout out to begin the starting of anybody. I don't think there's many people that would remember my playing days. So anyway, uh, it's I'm great. Great to be uh, on with you. Great. As uh, I mentioned right before we started, we had our first day of practice today. So it's always great to have the team back, uh, whether they're exactly where they need to be or not with their games and their fitness. It's just always a little more comforting to have them back and, and together and everybody made it back safely from traveling. So I'm in a pretty good move from those set from no, that standpoint. I, I love to hear it. And, you know, again, doing my research into you, I think the most notable tidbit, I should have said the most impressive accomplishment of your career, five daughters. That is impressive, yes. coach. And I know my mom, she came from an all girl household and she said, I want all sons. You know, I so we're and she was blessed three sons. It's all of us, my older brother, my younger brother. I know what our household is like. I want to hear the <laughs> flip side version, the house of five daughters. That's got to toughen a man up. Uh, yes, I, I can say, uh, never a dull moment. Yeah. Uh, I can say that definitely outnumbered. Uh, <laughs> I can say, I, I, I think I understand women as well as anyone. Uh, there's things that don't embarrass me that probably embarrass a lot of male coaches <laughs> coaching in the female world. 
Uh, pretty much anything that could be said or done, I've experienced it at home. So I am experienced from that standpoint. No, it doesn't mean I do either well uh, as far as being a father of five daughters or coaching women. But I can tell you, I, I'm, there's not many situations that I haven't been involved in. No, I love to hear it. And obviously looking through your career, I know something you've always been gravitated towards is coaching. And, you know, right away, your playing career is done. You're coaching at Cameron. And, you know, throughout your career, it hasn't just been the collegiate level. There have been times when you've been coaching at the high school level as well. What is it about coaching in particular that you are so drawn towards? I think it starts, I was, uh, my dad growing up, my through fifth grade was a, was a, uh, coach, a basketball coach, high school varsity basketball coach. And so grew up my early years of, of life of going, you know, Saturday mornings, going to practice with my dad and running the shot clock for running the clock for him and running and doing that. And just, I look forward to it all week and just his players coming by the house, you know, after they graduated high school and were in college or starting their, you know, their their careers coming by, checking in and just seeing his continued relationship with them. Or as I got older, even though he, my dad was in school administration at that time, uh, just people still called him coach Chapman and just the relationship he had with people in our, the hometown I grew up in and those things. I just, it's just something that, you know, at the time I didn't realize, uh, I really didn't have a plan on coaching all the way through my junior year of college. I wanted to go into sports administration and, even in my senior year, some, and then I had the opportunity to uh, be a GA and, and start uh, at Cameron and working with the women's team. I paid for my master's, so I thought, well, I'm sure my parents would be really excited because it was a bigger scholarship than I had when I played, so they were definitely uh, happy about that, and so, you know, and then I, that's where I really fell in love and thought, okay, this is what I meant to do. This is what I want to do. This is what I have a passion for. And so, but I think, you know, if I, I look back, it was ingrained in me and, and at an early age, and I didn't probably realize how influential, how influential my dad was as far as those relationships and that meant until it was time for me to coach and, and so, and getting into it. So that's kind of where it started for me. No, and you use the word there that's so interesting to me in passion. And this may be a foolish question because it's something I've experienced firsthand. I know the passion I felt for tennis when I was playing at the high school level. And again, you've played division two, coach division two, coach high school, coach now, you know, power five division one school as well. Is that passion something you see across levels? And again, when you look at it's a, I suppose a big picture question here, but it, that passion for the game, do, do you see it at this? You know, it's very easy to be excited about being a Kansas athlete, right? I think people can understand the excitement and gravity of that. But did you see that same passion shown across levels? Because I think sometimes we forget, you know, that you do see so many players getting after it at so many different levels. I think you do. I think, but you don't as well. I think there's, you know, I think you see it in, and there's players for sure that have passion. There's players for sure at all levels that don't have passion as much passion. Maybe they're doing it for different reasons than the passion at that point. And I think you see it in the coaching uh, and coaching as well. I mean, there's coaches that you can tell they just eat, sleep, breathe, love it. You know, the grind, the, the, the part of that. And, and it gets harder as you get older. I'll be the first to tell you, I, I still have a passion for it. Uh, I, the grind becomes a little ho harder as you get older, but I think you see coaches as well that they probably lost that passion a little bit. And maybe once again, they're doing it for different reasons 
or, you know, uh, not the same reason anymore. And so, I, yeah, it's definitely there at all levels. I think at times you sometimes see, you know, division three, uh, on the men's side for sure. Uh, cause I did men and men and women for, for a while, uh, for a lot of my career until the last 11 years, or, or I guess you're sorry, I've dated myself 13 years. It's just <laughs> been women. Uh, but the first 10, 11 years of my career, I did both men and women, especially on the men's side. I mean, you're get, you're getting very few guys are on a full scholarship. So, you know, they're, they're, they're out there. And like I said, the division three level where you're not getting in it, I think there's a lot of passion in small college tennis. I love that. Uh, when I coached small college tennis and played small college tennis, but, uh, you definitely see it at this level as well. There's just, you know, it's a different mindset. There's, there's different goals usually for players that are playing in major college tennis at a high level. And also the, what you get out of it is completely different, especially on the women's side, the resources you have, the scholarship you have, those kinds of things. It's, it's definitely, uh, you know, there, there can be more players that are paying to playing still to get their school paid for and those kinds of things. But no, I, you, you definitely see it. Uh, and that's the fun part. I mean, that's the, the great part is just, finding hopefully in recruiting and I think in recruiting as well you see players that at 16 17 that have a passion for it and you see some that probably don't their passion levels are a lot less and it's it's usually they may still be good uh but it's just not as much so and so but I I love running across coaches that have passion I love the players that have passion because that's at the end of the day that's what it's about and I've always said I won't be one of those coaches that continues the grind of it once it's it feels like a real grind and it feels like when it feels like a job I know it's time to do something different I feel the same way and you know again um, I want to get back to how college tennis in particular can capitalize on that passion and continue to grow the sport later on in this show but I am curious for you I don't want to frame it as it probably became a job these past two years but you have had two very young teams these past two seasons. And it's always interesting because obviously, uh, and listeners of our podcast, I'm sure will be well aware of this, but 2019 was a pinnacle for the program, right? You capture the Big 12 championship. We'll get back to that season. I have questions. I promise you. I've Well, <laughs> quick segue, more enjoyable win, Texas or Oklahoma State? Because Oklahoma State clipped you twice that year. I feel like that one might have been more satisfying. Oklahoma State was the, I would say, more enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, Texas. But <laughs> the the bigger win, if it makes any sense, the bigger win was Oklahoma State. Chris had gotten he'd gotten me, uh, he'd gotten Kansas tennis for a long time. It wasn't just clipped us twice that season. I mean, we they've clipped us a lot. Uh, and then they've gotten the better of us. And I think that was the one that that was the hurdle we had to get over uh to realize what level of a pro team we had that year. Uh, you know, that was a, that was a mental obstacle for the players. They hadn't, that team, those players had beaten Texas before and played Texas much closer many times than, uh, in previous years than, and it, and, and it actually that year, uh, lost four, three in Austin. So for them, they, they, Texas wasn't as big of an obstacle, um, even though they were the higher ranked team that year. Uh, Oklahoma state was one that was the monkey. We couldn't get off her back at that time. And so that one was more significant from the standpoint of we needed to get that just to real, you know, for our players to, to, uh, get that monkey off their back. But from the standpoint of enjoyment, home crowd, uh, yeah. you know, getting to host it and, and win it in front of your fans and a great crowd that, that one definitely was, 
uh, more enjoyable, more fun for sure. Yeah. No. And again, I want to get back. And to both that. were and both were great. Yeah. Both were great, but <laughs> no, for different reasons. I, I'm sure. And yes, again, I I'm fascinated by that season as well because for for many different reasons. That's like right in my strike zone of college tennis fandom. So we'll <laughs> you know we'll get back to that. But again. You turned the page on that season in 2020. So many of the key contributors to that team graduating, going off. And, you know, again, I think you guys were 7-4 and four in 2020 when play was stopped due to the pandemic. You know, a solid foundation to build on, but still not that much experience. And it's pretty much the same group last season. I'm curious, again, what this 18-month, 24-month stretch has been like when you have a team so young. It's been frustrating, and I think it's frustrating for two reasons. You know, in, in 2020, we started off two and four and played a really good schedule. We had hosted uh, the first couple rounds of, uh, of the ITA kickoff because we were, uh, you know, had finished in the top 16, and and but uh, people knew we lost a lot, so there was a lot of good team. I think we were one of the first teams uh, sites that came off the board. Uh, so it was four really good teams. We lost a couple close matches to Tennessee and, and Cal and and got off to a rough start. And then we had won five straight when uh, when COVID hit and we're just starting the conference season. And, and we were very young. You know, I, I, a player went from four to one. A player went from seven to two. Uh, and all the rest of the players were new new freshmen. And so what really hurt us there was that just the stoppage and not getting that experience and getting to finish a season and getting to play a conference season. And then those players then going into, you know, six months of not being able to touch them and practice with them and those things and, and kind of being on their own as all a lot of athletes all over the world were in many sports, uh, kind of having to figure out everything on their own at that point. And then last year was difficult, um, because of the setback from COVID and, and trying to get going again. And then we were without a player that couldn't get to Kansas because of COVID and get it, couldn't get out of her country. And then, then the NCA ruled on another player that she had to sit a year in residence last January. So all of a sudden we had six, we had eight players on scholarship and eight players in going to school either virtually or uh, here on campus, but only six were eligible to play. And we knew we were going to go through the, whole season with six and it was just difficult uh, I just felt like we you know we never could get anything started and and it was very frustrating uh, because I knew we were better than what we were and and I knew we had we had a, those two players that were on scholarship and going to class at, at Kansas said they were able to play then we're a completely different team uh, because they're top four players but um, you know, it's been frustrating, but I also think, you know, one thing it did make me realize is, is I've always been the guy that, and you try not to be, but what's next, what's next, what's next. So as you had success and we, uh, continue to build our program through 2019 and obviously had a, a really good season there it, in my mind, it was okay. What, what's the next step? You know, what's the next step? And, and you find out really quickly that you don't enjoy the ride as much as you should. And I think for me, the build back up and trying to get back where we need to be consistently and what we expect to be consistently. I told my team last night in our first uh, meeting for this spring season of my goal is to find more joy every day. My goal is to find more joy, more joy in everything we do and, and really, really enjoy uh, the process more. And and that doesn't mean you 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 don't think ahead. It doesn't mean you... You get too overconfident with the success you're having. It just means you need to, you, you have to take time. You have to 
at least have a period where you enjoy it and you don't go to the next step of mindset. Hey, that's great, but I don't want us to be complacent. And I don't want my team to be complacent, so I can't be complacent. And I think I'd spent too much of my career doing that. And so one thing it has, it's really reset my mind and reset my attitude on, yes, we're going to still work hard. We're still going to be focused on being a high achieving team and, and wanting to develop players and, and help them reach their goals and, and all of those things grind every day. But I have to take more time to enjoy uh, what comes through the grind. And so for me, it's been a perspective shift. So it's been frustration and a complete perspective shift of you know, how I need to be approaching things on a daily basis. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And again, when you look at the team, 8-13 and 13 overall, that's obviously not a number you love to hear. But, and I think this matters, you guys were only shut out three times. And like, you know, one of them's to Texas who wins the damn thing. And, you know, the other one, uh, you know, early in the season, Arkansas first match, given how young the team was, Arkansas SEC were able to do things in the fall. You guys obviously not as much. You can throw that one out the window as well. Talk to me about the way your team competed last season, because again, when you're looking through the record, and I say this lovingly, it's not as though there was one standout performer where it's like, all right, every time we know we're going to get four, we know we're going to get five, and so we have a point on the board. That wasn't the case for you all last season, even though, again, eight and 13, it felt like the two, the three points, you guys come so close in so many matches, kept coming from different players. I felt like we never quit. Uh, the team never gave in, but I also felt like we never played well at the same time. We would always have two that maybe were playing well at that point of the season. Uh, and then we always had around the same time, two that were struggling. Uh, and it was just constantly, and it was always moving through the, you know, through as the season went on, it was one of those things. I still believe with only having six and missing a couple top players, we were, we were still right there in the, as far as the ability to, to make the NCAA tournament. We just didn't put it together. And, you know, we had a lot of close four, three losses and, or would have been four, three losses. And and then that was extremely frustrating. And I think any coach will tell you, if you can win one or two of those, it completely changes the the mood, the mindset, the attitude uh, of your team. And we just, we weren't able to, to ever gain any momentum. It was, it was always a step forward, a step back. And, you know, and, and that piece was difficult. And, and I think we had some players that really embraced the situation. And I think we also had a couple that struggled with embracing it. Uh, it was more of focusing on what we could have been if we were a full strength team. And, and you just can't do that. No one's going to feel sorry for you. Uh, definitely, you know, they're, they, they, I'm not saying they want you to, to have issues and struggles, but, you know, we weren't the only team struggling with things last year. And so there was a lot of programs that you maybe had extra players because of you know being able to on their roster because of COVID and then there was teams like us that couldn't get players in the country uh or had players have issues because of COVID so you know as I told them no one was going to feel sorry for us we couldn't feel sorry for ourselves and I think you know like I said I think we had some that really learned some good lessons that they didn't approach it the right way and I think some gained some momentum because they became tougher they became more resilient uh, they weren't so focused on why we couldn't be successful. They were more focused on why we could. And so I think there was some, some positives, some tough lessons that came out of it. Uh, but I think any success we have this year will be because of a lot of the tough lessons we've gone through through last seasons. Well, with that in mind, I mean, you look at the team this season, pretty much everyone's back. And obviously, you bring in a couple of freshmen as well. You get to bring, as you mentioned, someone onto your roster who's supposed to play last season, wasn't able to. 
But you have a you know an experienced team returning this fall, and I'm curious, part A, how nice was it just to be able to have a full fall once again? But B, you know, what growth did you see from your team? It was great. It was great just to be kind of back to normal. Um, once again, another thing you don't you never knew you could take it. You know, you were taking it for granted until it's taken away. Um, but it's been it's been good. I mean, uh, yeah, just like a lot of schools, we've still had some injuries and still had some sicknesses, and we'll start the season with some of those little lingering issues. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the pieces we've added to the five experienced lineup players we brought back um, will really, and even like I said, two of the girls were on our roster last year, but didn't play for us. And I think they'll definitely start the season as, as and be major contributors for us uh, higher in the lineup. And so I think it just, you know, it's a completely different feel, completely different mood. And you can even see it in our returners from last year. Some of the ones that maybe struggled with the mindset of maybe how good we actually could be or frustrated we couldn't be the team they they wanted to be uh, are definitely energized and, and, and a little, little extra in them right now because they know we have the ability to, to compete with a lot of teams this year. And, and that's the goal. I mean, we, we have high expectations uh, in our minds, in my mind for sure, as the leader of this program, 2019 shouldn't continue to be our high water mark. And if it is, then we've got problems. So uh, the goal is to be, a, a, you know, a, a, a contender every year in, in our conference and, and competing to go deep in the tournament. And, and that should be what Kansas tennis is about. And, and, that, and that's the goal. So I think they're all excited. I'm really excited. Uh, about where we can be, we, you know, we've got a good, a new assistant coach that uh, has had a lot of success at Division Two level coming up. I know he's excited, and uh, you know, I think there's just a lot of optimism going into the spring of what, what we can be and what we should be. You talk about those expectations, and obviously, you've got I think four seniors on your roster. Um, you know, that's a connective thread. The 2019 team, those Big 12 championship winning teams, they know what Kansas tennis is capable of. Talk to me about that group in particular, those seniors. How, you know, in particular, obviously, Sonia Mal last year, they're able to play the top two, get those good looks at what is obviously a, a Big 12 conference that gets deeper and better, it feels like, every season. How, what role have they taken this fall in, again, trying to get these freshmen up to speed? Because it is interesting. You've got a bunch of seniors and then a bunch of freshmen on the team. Uh, the positive is I think they've done a good job. I think for some of the, for them also, they're still, in, we had a big a meeting with our seniors yesterday of uh, the four seniors is leadership wise for them, you know, and that 2019 season, the three seniors we have now that were freshmen, then weren't in leadership roles. And then the COVID year happened. And then last year was a struggle. So, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for them to embrace a leadership role like they haven't before. And, and I don't say it in a rude way that they haven't before, but it just it hadn't been what, you know, it hadn't happened. And so, uh, you know, the opportunity that they have now to, to grow as people, as young women, uh, the, the opportunity to grow as leaders. But it all starts with what you do yourself on a daily basis. If you don't have your house in order, you can't worry about what color carpet somebody else has in their house. So, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, that's the big challenge to them is first making sure you're doing everything you need to be doing. But yes, you know, definitely, as we talked about, we have three players that'll play in the lineup here in a few weeks against Tulsa that haven't played a dual match before. And so uh, helping them through that process and, and, and having a mindset of, of encouragement, but realizing, you know, that, that that's the situation we're in and, 
I think hopefully they're going to embrace that in, in a good way. I think we've seen some of that this fall, uh, but I think it's definitely an area we're continuing to challenge them on and, and, and to be, to be, you know, they hadn't always been comfortable with that role or, or felt like that was their role. And, and now it is. So, uh, you know, hopefully they can. The positive is, is two of our young players that haven't played, they're 21 years old and, and have played, you know, have played a lot of tennis, just hadn't played collegiate tennis. So we are fortunate age-wise. They're not, uh, and there's a big difference between a 21-year-old, you know, player that's starting their or 20 year old player that's starting their career versus someone that's, you know, 17 or 18. So we do have a little maturity in our youth. Uh, but once again, they still have not team tennis is a different world. I don't care what your junior ranking is or your accomplishments or how you've done on a professional tours coming and playing team tennis at the collegiate level at a high level. It's a different animal and it's one that everybody has to experience. It's one everyone has to get used to and some embrace that right away and some struggle because it's it's completely different. So um, I'm excited to see how those the 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 older players continue, you know, continue their growth as leaders in our program. But I'm also excited to see how our young players really embrace uh, team tennis and at the collegiate level. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned beforehand, I want to pick your brain on some big picture topics. You look at the composition of your roster of the year. There's always been a blend. Yeah, there are some Americans. There's some international players as well. I'm curious what your approach to recruiting is. I mean, I imagine the past year for every coach, and we've talked about it, you're, everyone looks good on the live stream, right? And so it's, it's it has to just be nice to be able to be back in person at uh, these events. But I'm curious when you're, you know, forming your roster, when you're looking at recruiting, how you balance those two things, recruiting Americans, recruiting internationally. Yeah, it was great, you know, just last week to be in Orlando at Winter Nationals and things like that, and just the ability to go and, and, and evaluate uh, this summer and, and this fall and get back into uh, really seeing where the American players are at with their games. I mean, a lot can change in, in a, a period of time. And so, uh, you know, for that, that's been enjoyable. I think for us, you know, I would love, I would love to – we have a goal to be successful. Uh, we have goals to, we want to recruit players that want to get better. They want to develop. Uh, they want to work. Uh, they're here for the right reasons. They want to be focused on the process and, and, and go through that. And it's not a, just about the stuff that you get and, and the gear and the, the, the ability to be at a major conference school and, and those things. So with that, that's the number one thing is identifying players that want to work, want to develop, uh, want to, be a process driven, be a part of a process driven program. Uh, so wherever they're from, that's number one. Two is we look for players that are, have an athleticism to be able to continue to develop uh, and that want to be, want to be developed. And so, uh, and, and then love competition. Uh, you can't, you can't be afraid of competition and be successful in the pressure cooker of college tennis. And to me, that's where a lot of players, they, they think they've played in big, high-profile situations in junior tennis or even uh, pro-level tennis at the smaller level. And college tennis, to me, is just a completely different pressure cooker. Uh, and so players that don't shy away, that love to embrace competition, I think that those are the uh, things we're looking at no matter where a player's from. Would I love to have more Americans on our team? 100%. I would. If, if they met, checked all those boxes. Yeah. Uh, just what we've run into is, is just in the last two years haven't helped us after 2019, um, you know, to continue uh, where we were at in 2019. 
I think obviously if the last two years with success wise been a little different, it creates a little different momentum. Um, but we, we, the honest truth is we've struggled at times to get in the door with players that um, are from the U.S. that want to be at Kansas Tennis and so or want to be here in, in Kansas. I think maybe it's misconceptions, preconceptions of what Kansas it's, itself is geographically. Uh, and, and then just for years, it hasn't been a program. You know, this is my ninth year. And before I was here, there weren't very many American players, players here at all. And the success wasn't there since the late 90s. And so it was a 20-year or 15, 16-year span of not a lot of success. So the players growing up, they didn't know much about Kansas tennis. And that's our hope. Our hope is to develop a brand and and those uh, a reputation that we develop players and care, players have a good experience here and they get better uh, and we're successful on and off the court. And hopefully that attracts more and more American players to want to be at Kansas. But at the end of the day, we're not going to sacrifice what our goals and, and hopes are and what the expectations of our athletic department are to just be American. And so right now, it, yeah, the majority of our team, six of our nine players are international and at the end of the day, I can say personally, I would like it to be a little more balanced, but I don't have a problem with the way it is right now. As long as we have players, like I said, that check the boxes that I mentioned, wherever they may be from, they're from, and the expectations are going to be the same either way, and hopefully the experience is the same either way. But, um, yeah, I would love to get to a 50-50, at least uh, American to international. I think that's probably real. I think that should be realistic, but I think that's, for us to be compete against who we expect to compete against in all reality, we can all say whatever we want to, but the truth is that's probably about as far as it's going to be stretched at Kansas, just for us to be competitive the way we need to be. I wish it was different than that. Uh, but that's just the reality of the situation. No, it's fair. And, you know, again, I, I have two more recruiting questions for you, but it, to your point, and, you know, you've been coaching in the Big 12 over a decade now, and I do feel like you can even see this trend in the past decade. I feel like the biggest difference in college tennis between now and, you know, 1990, 2000, 2010, yeah, the best teams were always exceptional. You can go look at any 90s NCAA champion. They could compete with the NCAA champion today. I think the biggest difference is team number 40, team number 50 this year just absolutely wallops their counterparts of the past decade. Is that a fair assessment? A hundred percent. There's way more athletic departments trying. Uh, I think on the women's side, for sure. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to, and I think it's part a lot of that, harder to get, it's hard to get in. Yeah. And I don't mean to cut you off. I think part of that is international recruiting, right? The talent pool yeah. is just bigger. Yeah. You have more people that, you know, it's, it's not just a, it is a trend now. It's not just something that, uh, an established trend in a lot of countries and, and you see players come over and and usually a lot of college coaches will tell you a lot of almost more times than not players are shocked at the level of collegiate tennis that it's way stronger than they ever thought it was going to be and and then they report that back to their buddies their friends and or their coaches and and I think the more you know we're able to do a lot more within the rules of NCAAs as far as players playing pro tennis and as far as what they can accept and they can't accept and just the resources that are in collegiate athletics right now in all, all sports are just drastically different. Uh, the, the, the investment in sports like tennis are there, like, you know, maybe the last year or so it's been a little different with COVID budget ch ch cuts and 
some programs struggling and obviously unfortunately we've had some programs cut but you know as far all in all the investment in, in tennis in general from a administration down at so many programs has changed and so therefore it's it's become more competitive and i think uh as i said as the more it becomes competitive you know that that leaks out to to players and whether junior players in the u.s or across the world or players that maybe tried to give it a go for six months or so and and play professionally or thought they were playing professionally and realized they weren't because they're not they're spending way more money than they're making um but like I said, it becomes harder to get in. I mean, I think the it's so, you know, men's and women's college tennis to coach, it's extremely competitive. And so you have coaches trying and the expectations from administrations. Obviously, if you're going to invest more money, the expectations of winning is is much higher. And, and the depth uh, continues to grow. As you mentioned, within our conference, I've seen a drastic difference in the last 13 years. Uh, but as you said, I mean, I, I was... Uh, part of uh, some programs that have been in the 40s um, 13 years ago and and the programs in the 40s right now as you said are are much more talented much much better and at a higher level yeah. uh, which is to me awesome and it, it, it's it, it our game is growing in that way and, and I think it's great for the product uh, and hopefully we can continue to find some ways to uh, highlight our product so more and more the, the word gets out more and more yeah, and so with that in mind, and again, we're going to jump around here. I'll get back to the recruiting questions and uh, some other big picture things as well, but you bring it up, uh, so I think I have to ask the question now. <laughs> the product is better than it has ever been, in my opinion. I just think, again, the talent pool, the level of play, match in, match out, the excitement, the advent of no ad scoring, or I should say the return of no ad scoring, it just adds a level of enthusiasm and intrigue, in my opinion, that has the sport as captivating as ever. Then that was a lot of words fast. I apologize. I realized that's how it was going. I was like, you're going 75 right now. Slow it down. Slow it down. But uh, with that said, you know, a question I've asked all of these power five coaches and I, you know, I really want to hear your opinion as well, because you have coached across levels for college tennis right now to continue to grow the game. Is it a col- Is it a product problem or is it a marketing problem? Where, you know, where should we be focusing our attention moving forward? Um, I think it's, you, you can look at it. I think we need to look everywhere sure. uh, and, and ask ourselves how, it, whether things seem to be successful or not in certain things, how can we grow it in everything we're doing? How can we be better in everything we're doing? How can we make the product? I do think the product as we discussed is much, much better, but how can we continue to make that better? Uh, I think it's a huge marketing issue as well from in all levels i think is but i think you have to start as a coach and maybe that's me as a being a small uh small college coach to now in a power five institution i've always thought it was my job to promote my program because i had to for a long time now there's people that are paid to help us with that but you know and when you're a, a coach at a small college you, you're doing it all you're the athletic trainer you're the you're the promoter you're the you're you're the everything um, and so I've always had that mindset, but so I've always marketed our program, our matches, our program within our community, uh, anything we can do to, to one, I think you have to, number one, my opinion is you always start at home base and that's with your, you, you need to, if you're not marketable within your own community, within your own athletic department, uh, with your alumni, with your whatever, then how are you going to be marketable to anyone else? Those are the people that should care. So if you can't get the people that should care, 
uh, to care, then you're, you've got a problem right there, in, in my opinion, as a head coach. Uh, and, that, and I think that's 100% our jobs. Uh, and, and it shouldn't be someone else's job. And it's your team's jobs. Um, well, with that, that. With, with that in mind, and again, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but it, it, so the biggest takeaway for me from this series, and it helps that I've gotten to talk to 75-plus of you now, is that X's and O's, it's like 20% of the job. Like, yes, in May, it really helps to say, hey, serve this one out wide. You're going to poach here. We're going to win this point. Booyah. Like, that, yeah. of course, is valuable in May. But the majority of the season, you're building a program. And I, I do, you know, again, so much of that falls on the head coach. It's not a huge football team. It's not a huge basketball athletic, you know, whole team behind you the way it is in the big revenue sports. Uh, I am curious, you talk about, again, building it at the grassroots to me, and I, I like to present the idea, so I'm not just throwing these questions at you. With NIL, with all these opportunities, like if you are a coach getting your players in front of the juniors in your area, going to all the local tennis clubs in Kansas or, you know, surrounding the university, isn't that how you grow the sport? Don't you have to have that grassroots buy-in? And, you know, to me, it's with the NIL rules. I'm going to all the local clubs and I'm saying, I need $10,000 to distribute to my players. This is not him saying this NCAA. This is me. Let's be clear. Uh, And, you know, and I'm distributing it and you'll get one of my players every week at your clinics and the kids are going to love it. Then they're going to come to the matches. I know that's one example of how to do it, but is that the sort of grassroots buy-in you're talking about? Well, I think so. I mean, I just think you have to, once again, if you can't get your local people to be excited about your program, then how do you get the masses to be excited about your program and other programs? And so for me, yeah, it's, it's grassroots. It's, it's, we're lucky here. They run a club out of our, the facility that the uh, athletic department owns. And so we get a little bit of both in that situation. But, I, you know, and I tell our players all the time, I mean, their goal is to greet people. Their goal is, you know, uh, you know, at matches every day as you we, there's members maybe on the courts next to us or whatever it may be is. And it's more important now than ever. Uh, we had this conversation yesterday is you never know who might be someone that wants to now can invest in your you and, and your tennis or just you in, gen, in general. Uh, you never know who may be next to you when you're practicing. You never know who you may walk through the lobby of our facility and greet. Um, so, yes, those things are extremely important, more important now than ever, as you say, with NIL. Um, but I just think from the standpoint of growing our game, it starts there. And I just think there's just too many people that focus on why tennis can't be successful. And I'm a coach that, yeah, there can always be reasons why not. And they can weigh out reasons, the reasons why. But if you focus on the reasons why you can't, then you'll never have a clear vision of focusing on the reasons why you can. And and it depends what you focus on. And I think for us as as college coaches, we have to, yeah, I think you have to think outside of the box some, but you've got to be able to promote. You've got to be willing to promote. You have to be willing to accept that. Yeah, it's going to take extra time. Uh, but if you really care about the game and you want more people to be excited, I mean, uh, there was a great stat on Twitter recently of just on social media followers for uh, different sports. And I think the SEC was the one that they had. And, and you know, I think it's and you you, you may have even been a big been it a part was John of Parsons. And, He's going to be so excited. You brought this up. <laughs> but I just think it's true. You look at that. I mean, that mm-hmm. if that's not a slap in the face as far as not hey, we're being whatever, but if it's not a slap in the face to wake us up uh, of where we stand, 
you know, and at that point, are you going to complain why you're not or tell why you're not, or are you going to try to grow your brand and grow your, you know, grow. I think if every coach is really focused on growing their brand within their communities and then branching out, then how can it not be bigger and better? How, you know, and then you have more fans at your, at your matches and look, if you let your product be seen and you, you put a product on the court that player, you know, people want to come watch and get excited and, and, and compete, uh, you know, and, and enjoy, you have players that enjoy competing and, and get fans excited about coming and watching you. Uh, the more people you have at your events, it, it makes a huge difference. And, and it grows from there. And that, that obviously isn't the masses, but you can't lose sight of that, in my opinion. And yeah, I think we have to be more uh, willing to make adjustments and changes. Uh, some I haven't been excited about in the beginning. And then you're like, okay, I'm glad it's this way. And I think we have to realize that as well as coaches. I think a lot of times we, we stop ourselves. Uh, the only thing I haven't been really excited about that's talked about in the growing the game is left, less emphasis in doubles just because on the women's side where we had the majority of our success in professional tennis is in doubles. And then it's branched from there. So for women's tennis, I think we're a little different. That's getting off topic with you. Uh, oh, I, I beg to differ. That's right on topic. I love it. This is Bad, right. I, I just alley. think we've got to promote. Yeah. We've got to promote. We've got to be willing to make changes. We've got to be willing to think big picture. We've also got to be willing to have a, a thousand foot view you got to have a 30,000 foot view and you've got to have a thousand foot view when it comes to you and your communities and on your campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got to have a 30,000 foot view when it comes to growing the game, you know, on a national basis or stage of how do we make our game more relevant? So we don't have programs being cut and we don't have, we're, we're, we're helping ourselves as far as, you know, little kids wanting to grow up to play tennis because they've been involved and around it. But if, like you said earlier, if you, you can't use your program to grow the game within your area to get more kids excited to play college tennis, then if you can't grow it that way, then you, you've got bigger problems, uh, in my opinion, because how do you grow it? Yeah, no, it, again, that's one component for sure. But you talk about the 10,000 foot view and the de-emphasis of doubles, and I do think these two things are coupled together, is I do think... 10 years, 15, because obviously you got to get your product on TV at, to some extent as well. You got to have it broadcasted. And, you know, I do think there are some cool things in the works that we're not quite ready to talk about with our crack Rackets right. fans, but I promise we're getting there folks. Um, but, you know, obviously shortening the product has been something that's repeatedly happened and they've gone from two out of three sets in doubles to a pro set in doubles to now the Russian roulette. That is the doubles point and obviously add to no ad scoring. I do think simultaneous start could potentially be in the future for college tennis because it's one consecutive product. I also think there is an undeniable lull between the highs of the end of the doubles point, the best, in my opinion, 40 minutes in all of tennis across levels. And then you have those first sets of of tennis, which, yeah, the nerds love, but one coach framed it as a permission to leave the match for fans. And I I don't think that's an unfair description. So for me, like, I do think simultaneous start is something that might be explored. What do you think about that? I don't have a problem with it. Interesting. Uh, I think I think we should be, to be honest, my opinion is, I think fall tennis can be used for a lot of things. I think fall tennis can be used and we're not doing it enough. And I can be a part of the, you know, say I'm part of the problem as well. I think we're not using it enough to experiment 
I don't think we're using it enough to experiment in the month of January um, to see, you know, and I think I talked about it with some coaches recently. I think the number one thing, the number one problem with change is usually fear. You know, people don't want to change because they're fearful of what that change may lead to and fear and sometimes rightfully so, but we can get so stuck in fear that we're not willing even to try. And I think, yeah, you can easily try some things out. Hey, I, you know, it didn't work. It doesn't, you know, it it wasn't successful or it wasn't what I think is good for the game or whatever it may be. Um, But I think there's all kinds of alternatives with, with formats. Uh, The only format I'm against is one that diminishes doubles any more than we have uh, from the standpoint of something that we're practicing. And then, like I said, my, my big reasons are, as far as the, a larger view at growing the game as well as how do you help, you know, in the John Isners, the Kevin Andersons, how much have they helped men's tennis as far as getting better players to come to the U.S.? I, I think there's a, a great translation to me, in my opinion, and I coach women, but I, I follow uh, college tennis very closely on both sides. Is you look back, as you talk about the last 10, 11 years, you, to me, a lot of that is with the change of, success on the men's side and professional tennis and now players from all across the world yeah you can point to a, a player and say you know they, they they played college tennis so i think that's a big piece so i, I don't on the women's side i don't want to diminish where a lot of our success is but i'm a hundred percent for trying some simultaneous i i like the simultaneous as much as in some of the uh, versions of it that, I, that have been talked about as much as you know, I've ta- heard things, well, let's start with singles and then you only play the doubles if, if you know, it's a tied three all. Well, you could play three doubles points the whole year or no doubles points the whole yeah. year until it came time for it to matter. And so, some people want those to be super tiebreakers. And I just, for me, that's not my cup of tea, but I, I am all for trying more formats. I think and we, the only way it works is if we as coaches start testing those out more. Yeah, and you talk about using the fall for experimentation. That's a perfect uh, segue into my next topic. And, you know, again, what is the role of the fall? Because you're right, and why are we, you know, they're not called hidden duels because we're hiding them from the people, but it's indicative of the problem. Like, what are we doing these hidden duels for? Let's market the crap out of them. They're just as exciting as anything else. And, yeah, let's experiment in the fall, try these different things. That said, the fall is also the time for the individual events and for the development period I know you coaches need with your team before you get into the dual match season. What is your view on the role of the fall? I know that's a big question. There's a lot packed into it, but I'm curious how you approach it. I think it's everything you just said, and, and I think the, the issues become of what, you know, coaches, you have decisions to make of what you think is is most important for your program or the team that maybe you have that year and what a focus one fall may be different than the focus of the next fall based on your experience level of your team and what you think they need to get out of it. Uh, and let's just be honest. I mean, the, the odds right now, and I'll say it, I don't have a problem saying it. The odds are, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room is there's a good chance that individual championships move to the fall here, you know, by two thousand the fall of 2023. You know, I think that I'd be more shocked if that doesn't happen than if it does. So to me, my worry is then it becomes a lot more difficult potentially to do some of the things we're talking about now as far as using the falls in ways to experiment because um, it's going to be all about making sure your your best players get the best opportunities to 
to qualify and those things. So I, even though I have views on it, I think it's about to drastically change on all of us and we're going to all have to shift gears and change lanes and, and figure out the best formula to help our players. But I'm still, even if that happens, which I believe it will, I'm a, I'm about the team and the team season. So for me, as we talked about, as you mentioned, all the different options to me, every year I start my, as we come into the fall and it starts in the summertime, figuring out once you know what your complete team is, is what does our team need to be to do and, and, and those kinds of things to be best prepared by January. You know, in some years you may have players that are playing professional events because you have an experienced team and some players you have, you need them to experience what college tennis is about and work on the doubles or whatever it may be. And so you're, you're more focused on collegiate events or where you can, you get the most matches within collegiate events. So for me, it really changes year to year. I've had teams where I'm really focused on one thing, one fall and, and really focused on another, another fall. And it just depends on the makeup of our team. And I know that probably doesn't answer your question. And I, I even added an extra wrench in there. No, with, you answered of all of my questions and more. That was exactly what I was looking for because it's so, I mean, that is the elephant hanging over the room. And again, it's, uh, you, people talk about it. I hear the rumors, uh, thankfully, you know, not every, you know, I always tell people stop leaking to Parsa. I'm right here. Like, come on. Um, but you know, that is the big elephant in the room because we've you've done those weeks. Everyone's done those weeks where it's just that NCAA tournament, it drags on. There's no doubt. Thankfully, no income tax in Florida, right? Because we all would have been paying it at the end of last year. And it's just, you know, again, is that the best thing for these athletes? And, you know, you can go to Josh Goffey's podcast, listeners can hear it, where he suggested you flip, the, you know, you change the schedule dynamic. It's a basketball schedule now, or you play the team matches in the fall, and then you worry about the individuals, all of the development in the spring, all of these different things. Everything's on the table is the point that I'm trying to make, but a lot of that does surround the NCAA tournament. Are you okay? I, you know, you brought up, you think it is going to go to the fall. Is that a decision you're in favor of? You know, I've learned more about it and maybe some of the structure behind it, or at least some of the things they're going to try to, to do if, if that's what does happen. And like I said, I, at this point, I would be, I'm not one to get out over my skis too often, but I, I really would be shocked. I think there's just too much momentum in so many different areas behind it uh, that it, I think it does happen. Uh, and I think it could happen as early as fall of 23. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if it does. And I'm the type of it at the end of the day, if that's what it looks like, it doesn't matter if I'm against it or for it, it's going to happen. So I have to adjust and get behind it either way. If I sit and complain and, and if, if it was, yeah, there's moments where I was against it, but I don't, I don't think there's a perfect solution. So at the end of you're right at the end of team NCAs is not the, is not the best time for a lot of different reasons. And I don't know that it, you know, there's a lot, there's some negatives for it to be at the end of the fall. Uh, I think you have to figure out, okay, what's the, the best solution possible? Uh, what's the best marketability possible? And that probably is the fall uh, for a lot of different reasons. And, and, and make the most of it. And, you know, some of the things I've learned in the last three or four weeks make me feel better about if it is moved to the fall. Uh, some ideas and thoughts and, and different things to kind of protect uh, the integrity of it. And then also to protect the team season. Because um, there's some more, my biggest worries were how is it going to affect the team season, playing dates, playing days or practice days, those kinds of things. 
Uh, and a lot of the, some of those have been eased and then just some other worries that people had. Uh, so from, from my perspective, uh, I don't, it is what it is. If it happens, great. I think either way, the number one thing is whether it stays in the spring or the fall, we've got to find a way to be- make it a better product. Mm-hmm. My you goal know, I, is to get it in second week of the U.S. Open. If we're going to play it in the fall, give it the biggest platform. And if the USTA, again, it's an international sport now, but the USTA is the most, uh, I suppose, dedicated, or dedicated is the wrong word, but is the biggest, it has the biggest investment in college tennis. And so if you put it on the biggest platform, make it that second week. And you talk about some of the logistical challenges. Again, I wanted to pick your brain broadly. December rankings for the ITA. You know, there's no Emma Navarro for the men. There's no Liam Drax uh, for the women. Excuse me, no Liam Draxel for the men. Obviously, you take them with somewhat of a grain of salt. I think part of the solution, if you go to the fall NCA tournament, is you just have to do a 12 month ranking system and you drop out seniors as they graduate. I also, again, if you want to do a fall NCA tournament, do those seniors from the year before get to come back to play that event? How do you, you know, ensure you're not screwing people, for lack of a better term, out of an NCA tournament? I think the 12-month ranking system is a way to do that. Where are you with the rankings? The falls are, I mean, and the ITA will tell you, I actually am on the national ranking mm-hmm. committee, have been for the last three years, and the ITA will be the first to tell you that the fall ranking, the, the ranking system is not built to be ready and to have any close resemblance of what it should in the December rankings. I, I, I believe... Closer to the top end is way more accurate than anything past 15. Mm-hmm. You get past 15 on the singles and doubles, and it, it, who the heck knows what's going <laughs> to come shooting out of there. I think part of it is you could have someone with three results, you know, have a, a high ranking because they had a good win or two within those, or you could have someone that's three and nine nationally ranked because one of their wins. It's just It just doesn't work from the standpoint of that. So I put zero, I don't mean it bad. Yeah. I may get some heat behind it, heat from this, but I, I put zero thought into what the fall rankings are going to shoot out because it's 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 not anywhere close to what it needs to be. And, and uh, like I said, the ITA knows, and that's been a conversation that has been talked about is that you're, you're not going to be able to use the current ranking system to have at large uh, bids into the fall if it moves to the fall for individual championship. You're just not going to be able to use that because it's not going to be reliable. So, you know, a lot of it may be qual- a qualification system, uh, that well, type of thing. It's like the summer circuit now matters. Or, you know, I'm curious again because you're on the ranking committee. I want to pick your brain on this. Do you incorporate things like UTR? Do you try to find a formula that can balance a UTR, college results, and pro results just to have the most accurate ranking system reflected? Or should the college rankings be just about college results? I think you have to. Just in how I use recruiting, you have to use every as every every system as a tool and none are end-all, be-all. Uh, you can easily miss so much if you, you think one system is the the end all be all. So I think each one of them is a tool and you use them all and you find a way to, if you're truly worried about the integrity of the draw, I mean, and I will say to some degree, we do that now, uh, whether it's published or not, we do. Um, Cause you have to take it, you know, all into account uh, if you want to do what's fit, you know, best for our game and, and best for the, the, the quality of the event or whatever you are putting on, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's again, it's an interesting thing. And, you mentioned it earlier, uh, you know, 
the part of the reason you're against change is fear of the unknown. I also think you can get 49.9% of college coaches to agree on anything. You're never going to get 50%, not ever. <laughs> and so that's you're probably you're, you're probably accurate. And I, and I will say, and then the number one thing, I, I shouldn't say the number one thing, but something I will say and, and joking aside is uh, that's part of our problem. Mm-hmm. Alex is, is, and to me in college tennis, we spend too much as coaches We're we're, there's just, we get stuck in the weeds we get stuck in the weeds and, and we never get, you know, we can have, you know, we think that's going to be this huge agreement and there's just not going to be. And and at times, like I said, we've got to get out of our own way and try some things and see if it works or what doesn't work. Um, but I, I think we get in our way too, too much. And I think you have other coaches associations and other sports that seem to get behind each other a little more and, and put their own agendas aside of what keeps them successful because i think that's a big piece how can i stay successful before i worry about the the game itself and so uh selfishly yeah we all have that built inside of us but i think you know, you've got to get to behind the sport that you coach and if that's truly your sp- passion how do we make this better and that, but i'm also a believer you don't ha- it doesn't have to always be changing but i do think they're cha- you know you have to change is inevitable as well and you can't always be resistant to it as well. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I completely agree. I would echo that sentiment entirely. And you know, again, with that in mind, uh, uh, you've been very generous with your time. I want to rapid fire through a couple of different things here. I guess feasibility: twenty percent chance NCA second week of the U.S. Open. Like, is it? I, I, I you know, we'll say twenty percent. I think you're you you're gonna you're gonna struggle on that one. Yeah, I agree. I think. That one, I think I think that one's a, at least right now. I would say that's a little bit of a dream. Yeah, that's good. You got to dream big, right? Don't tell me what that's I can't right. do. Tell me what I can do. That's I, right. A I wise coach once said that. <laughs> um, all right. With that in mind, again, talking about some of the fall stuff. Towards the end, eight-hour rule: four on court, four in the gym. Twenty-five competitive dates. You've talked about these players now seeing their contemporaries, peers go pro, have success. Do those numbers reflect the modern demand of college tennis? Or at this point, again, is it time to re-examine those? Well, I think coaches would tell you they'd love to be re-examined, but I, you know, not to be Dr. Death, <laughs> but, you know, that's an NCA thing. And, and the NC, you know, I, I don't know. There's been some adjustments that have helped because obviously it used to be two, two out of the eight could be on court. So there have been some adjustments, but now, players that want to get better, they're not wanting to, you know, you got to have more for, than four hours. T- and if you're expected to help develop them, you got to be able to have more than four hours on the court with them for a, a six week period or an eight week period at times in the fall. So for sure, I, I think that's something every coach that wants to help their players develop would say we would love, you know, for this to change to where we have more time on court with our players. I, do I believe it will happen? That would be a big stretch for the NCAA to make that that change, I think. But, you know, we can all hope, as you said. Yeah, it's again, it's a it's an athlete-driven thing, right? They would have to be the ones. The difference yeah, is now— Yeah, like- 100%. If the athletes get behind that, then but I think you're, you're also going to have the same thing you talked about as getting athletes to all agree. Because uh, I think they're worried. Some would then be worried, well, I'm going to have to work too hard. Mm-hmm. So— I, or I have to do too much or my coach is going to expect too much from me. And so, uh, yeah, I think 100% that's coach driven isn't going to get anywhere, but if the athletes got behind something like that, uh, their power is as big as it's ever been with the NCAA. So 
anything they all get or can get the majority of behind, they're going to get past usually. Mm -hmm. No, the difference now between now and then, like I'm sure you had no idea that Cameron had a compliance office. All of these players now know their compliance officer. And you would oh, think for sure. if not reexamining the rule, there could just be a form that they give and the compliance officer can make eye contact and say, oh, no, I can tell this is real where they're like, I would like to work with Coach Chapman just for another hour. Like, can I please? Here's my compliance form saying I am asking for this because to your point, you go to school to be coached and the fact that you have to tell them, no, I can't coach you right now, that's ridiculous. And so, yes, those are my thoughts on it listeners should know there's a vehement shaking of the head from coach Chapman as well he agrees um we've talked about you know recruiting before and you've talked about the community at the University of Kansas I think too many fans parents players haven't heard directly from you coaches so I've wanted to give you all the chance make the pitch why should I come down to Lawrence why should I rock shock Jayhawk well number one I think if you're serious about your tennis I think our 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 development uh, process has spoken for itself. I mean, I think we've taken players and, and part of that 2019 program we talked about. I mean, I, you would laugh at the teams that, of who, you know, who we had to beat out to get the players we had to, to finish in a number eight in the USTA poll and number 13 in the IETA poll of what where those players were looked at as recruits coming in. So I think the development we've had here is, uh, speaks for itself and we stand behind. And, and I think so, number one, if you want to get better at tennis and want to take it seriously and and, and what coaches they're going to spend the amount of time that you want to spend with you or we're allowed as much as we're allowed to do, we're going to do it. And I'm a dad of I mean, I'm a father of five kids and a, a grandfather, but I'm going to I'm going to find the time. And so that and then I think, you know, I think uh, University of Kansas, if you've ever we hear it all the time. Oh, I never thought it would be this beautiful. You know, eastern northeastern Kansas is a lot of hills, a lot of trees. Kansas City's a great city. Uh, just look at the Chiefs. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a great. I'm a Cowboys guy, but uh, it's yeah. Chiefs second. But anyway, uh, but no, it's a it's a beautiful place. Great education. Uh, we're a member of the AAU um, as far as academic stuff, and and so we're a really good public university. And and so I think, but it's number one, it's a balance. You know, uh, it's a it's a great balance to me of uh, an athletic department that's willing to to get behind and, and give the resources to its programs to be successful. And two, educationally, you can get a great education, but it's not going to be an education that keeps you from being able to develop with your tennis because that happens as well. I mean, if the academics are so tough, it doesn't matter how serious you are about your tennis, you're not going to be able to develop at the same rate. And so uh, I think it's a, it's a great spot. I'm 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 a Texas guy. Uh, but this is a place I, I earmarked in my days at Texas Tech as a place I would love to potentially get to take over. And it, it just worked out that way. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a great place. And I, I just think people get too caught up on who's been good or who hasn't been good. They get caught up on, well, that team's that rank this every single year. Uh, look at the development of players, uh, of where players come in and where they leave. Look at the success of that uh, as much as anything, if you're really worried about the development of your game and, you know, whether you're in wherever you are located in the United States, if you're working hard on in, on the court, you're working hard in the classroom, um, you're really serious about those things that you don't have time to to go enjoy where you if you're enjoying where you're living too much, then you're not probably being successful in the other two areas. So mm -hmm. I think it's a great spot. I think everybody should always, 
you know, wherever you are, look mm-hmm. into it. Really do your homework. There was, um, a, there was a horrible snowstorm, to, I guess this would have been 2003, in Michigan, and we all lost power, so we all had to stay at my grandma's house because she had power. And I remember exactly where I was when that Kirk Heinrich team beat Carmelo Anthony in the NCAA <laughs> championship. So That and, hey, then nothing beats getting, being a student athlete at Kansas and getting to go watch a game in Allen Fieldhouse. It's on the bucket uh, list. And not having to camp out, and you can just walk through a side door, you know, 10 minutes before the game, and part of being a student athlete, you don't have to to, to camp out like all the other students, and <laughs> it's it's definitely an unbelievable experience, so, um, but no, yeah. I, I think it's a special place, like I said, I'm not from here, I'm not from around here, I really do think it's a special place, whether I'm the coach here or not, uh, but I think it is a place where we take it serious in the development of our players series. I'm looking it up right now on my phone. How far is Lawrence, Kansas? Just because I'm saying, if you have an extra ticket, yeah, it's only a seven-hour drive. I'm, I'm there. So just, you know. I can't, I can't promise you anything, but I, 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 you know, but I, you know, I may not turn you away either. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, no, I, um, again, to all of this being said, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, because I do think this is another hot-button issue, Right now, it's emphasized because there's five years of COVID-eligible athletes due to that extra year of eligibility. We talked about the international aspect. How do you balance recruiting four-year players versus knowing, particularly right now, I can go find a four. I can go find a five on a transfer portal if I really want to. Yeah, I think it's. it just depends what you're chasing. Sure. Uh, I'm always going to enjoy the, for the majority of our, our team, I, I would want them to be the look for the four-year experience uh, because that's the chance for real growth. Uh, we, we've been successful with transfers. Uh, I, I can't, I do feel really good about the transfers we have had. We haven't had a, a large amount, uh, but the, the ones that we have come in, we've been really successful with. Um, but always, they leave our program and I always feel like I wish I had more time. Mm-hmm. Or they've talked about, I wish I would have been here another year or so because uh, I really feel like I could have accomplished some things more than what I did. And that's what I leave it with. I would always rather have someone for the longer period to develop that trust, develop that growth with them. Uh, but yeah, I think it's definitely here to stay. And it's something in tennis, a lot of the other sports are dealing with it for the first time. And there's this huge buzz around the transfer portal, but we've had the one-year transfer for a long time in tennis. Now, I think it is more as more people talk about it in other sports, it does happen more often. It's happening more often in our sport now than ever before. But yeah, you have to pay attention to it. Uh, whether in, in some situations, it could be a one-year situation. If it's someone you think can really come in and help your team and, and they're willing to buy in to, to the way you do things and, and how your program, you know, align with your, your thoughts as far as what your program is based around, then 100% you have to look at it. I mean, I, I, we look at it daily, weekly, uh, and pay attention to it. And, you know, I, but I think it's a balance. I, I would never want a team that's even close to 50% uh, of transfers, to be honest, if, if I have it my way. It doesn't mean it won't ever happen, but that wouldn't be my first choice. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the process of, of just being with a player for that period of time and the development that can happen, uh, the relationship that can happen, uh, and the part of the life, their life that you get to become uh, when you're with someone for that period. Now, they may not wish they were with me that long, but <laughs> I, I do I do enjoy that. And so for me, that's we're always going to look to be more of a four-year program than a, than a 
ran by the transfer port, sure. portal program. But no, we, we all have to pay attention and, and use it. I can tell you someone else who looks at the transfer portal every day has got two thumbs and he's on this podcast. Um, now, <laughs> with that in mind, again, you've been super generous with your time, so I'll try to rapid fire through these. Looking at your schedule this year, you did not take any shortcuts, right? You are playing the best. You want your team to have the opportunity to compete against the best. I'm sure you are looking forward to a Baylor matchup after that 4-3 decision last year on the kickoff weekend. That's where you guys are headed as well. I want to know about the scheduling philosophy, but I want to couple it with the question of, should the 500 rule go away forever? Yes. (laughs) Yes. 100%. I mean, last year proved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year proved it. Our ranking system is set up in a way that that is counter to the 500 rule. And, and whether other sports are or aren't, I can tell you tennis is. It's set up in a way it, it is geared towards you playing a strong schedule and rewarding you for it. So if our, if our ranking system that the NCAA goes by 98% of the time for people to get in and out of the tournament – is based on that, then you, you've got to look at that. And, and maybe last year, hopefully, we'll open some doors for that to be revisited. Um, but, yeah, we're excited about our schedule. I told, talked to, was on a call with Joey yesterday and told the group that I probably wasn't the smartest uh, <laughs> in picking to play them first because he did an unbelievable job recruiting and, and filling his roster with the players that he lost. And so and that's a tough with USC and Miami. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, that's going to be a tough region. Um, but no, we're excited. I've always believed you, you know, I, I'm not a big believer in false confidence at the end of the day. I want my players to feel confident because they should be confident. Um, you have to be smart with your schedule, but we're going to, they're all opportunities, uh, for us to get better and to see where we're at. And, you know, the better competition you play, you, you know, what reality is within your team on it. You don't have to wonder or worry where your team really is, you know, on a, match by match basis. And and I really believe that. So, uh, yeah, at times it can make you a little nervous with the 500 rule. Um, but I, to me, you, you talk about what's great for the game. Just imagine if coaches didn't schedule in a way where they had to worry about the 500 rule. Like in years ago, it was that way. Uh, just the matchups you could have and, you, you know, the matchups between teams and how exciting you can promote that uh and 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 grow the game that way that's a thought i have as well and so but no we're excited about what we have in front of us it's going to be a challenge we've got some really tough road matches we've got some really great teams coming into lawrence kansas that we're excited to host and hopefully get our fans back out and and rally behind our team and and have a great match day atmosphere Mm-hmm. you've talked again uh, we are looking forward to it it is a loaded schedule so i i promise we will be talking about kansas matches throughout the course of this year doubles point for your team you won seven of them last year in my culture we call that niche not very good but i know yeah. that's something yeah you um, I, again i'm sure that's something you're looking to flip this season i'll ask it like this is the servant volley dead uh, I've got, I got at least one that does. I like it. Uh, so no, I, I've got at least one, sometimes more than one that will. So mm-hmm. I would say even in women's tennis, it's still out there, but it is, uh, not a uh, common. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with sure. that, I'm curious, how, what has the emphasis been this fall in doubles? How do you get the point back to where it usually is for your teams? I think a full team number one helps. So sure. we, we feel much more confident about the options we, we can put out there. Um, but yeah, we've got to just be better. I mean, we like to play aggressive doubles, uh, get forward, 
but we play to our player strengths. So sometimes that it may not be that, but on a whole it is. And we know we can coach doubles. We know we can be successful. Uh, we went from one of the best doubles, well, probably the best statistically doubles point in 2019, only losing one doubles point to one of the <laughs> not very good last year. And so, uh, yeah, that, that, if you talk about one thing that outside of making the NCAA tournament and feeling, uh, being as relevant as we wanted to last year, the number one thing that really bothered me all off season is, is the doubles point. I love doubles. Uh, it's something I enjoyed as a player more than the singles. And so we, we will be better. I can promise you, we will win more than seven doubles points this year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, let's be aggressive. Let's get after it. Let's, let's, uh, play strike first tennis when it comes to doubles, like you said, in that six game set, it's all about momentum. It's all about energy. And then to me, it's just, we've got to get some confidence and swagger doubles is an attitude. And if you don't have the attitude, then you're, you're struggling it to I me, especially that. it's an attitude, especially a six game, no ad set. It is an attitude and you better have it or you're going to be struggling. I'm amped right now for doubles points. I'm like, <laughs> put me in, let's go play. Um, no, you, you talk about NCAA tournament again, last three for you all relatively quicker. Does the, does the champion of the NCAA tournament deserve a wild card regardless of nationality? Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree. 100%. 100%. 100%. And, and is that a carrot? Like, would that help in recruiting too? It would, right? Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I, I just think it grows. If, and I get it. It's, it's, it's a uh, partnership with the USTA. Sure. But the USTA, is, it to me, is, 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 wants to be more involved in college tennis. And if they truly care about college tennis, then, you know, that's something that's there. Now, I, I get why not. I do understand the argument of why not 100 uh, percent. But as a coach, yeah, I mean, uh, you and especially if we're going to move the championship to the fall and different things, I, I just think at some point you hope that that changes. And, you know, I think there's a group of us that are hopeful that that might be a part of this. Maybe it's not. But, um, yeah, 100 percent. That it would be great, and I think it would be great for the game. Yeah, no, I completely agree. With I mean, you, would you have liked? Would you have liked to see Cameron Norrie play in the NCAA tournament his last year in college tennis? Especially now that you and, and maybe he doesn't win it, but he yeah. probably has a really good chance to win the NCAA individual title. Uh, and love to have seen him play, uh, you know, on a Monday night or a, of the U.S. Open night match against someone. I mean, how does that hurt college tennis? It only helps. Well, I and I would say this to his face, would say, no, I wouldn't have liked that because I <laughs> took personally when he decommitted from Michigan all those years ago. Okay. I remember seeing him on his visit. Uh, but that's a story for another time. Um, anyways, last, speaking of making it fun, last two fun things for you. Something I think it's an easy product fix. Like, so simple. The coin toss, it's overrated. We can do better. We can get the entertainment starting right away. In order to do it, one point, start of the match, drop and hit, head coach versus head coach, winning coach decides who has who serves first. I like that. Yeah, you're in, right? You're playing? Yeah, I mean, maybe not good, but I'm yeah. playing. <laughs> the chip and com- charges would be incredible. I, I'm a competitor, so I'm never <laughs> going to say no. It may not be the prettiest thing, but I'm not going to back down, that's for sure. Do you think you could beat more than 50% of your Big 12 compatriots? Come on, talk some stuff. Uh, Audra Cohen's I'm... whooping you. Like, you can throw that oh, one yeah. out. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna but, have like, to you say... versus Chris, you versus Lee, I'm in on those. Lee was a good – Lee was a – yeah, know, Lee, Lee was ball. a pretty good player. Howard, Howard – he can still play. I mean, he was a really good player. We've got Jordan Smith at Kansas yeah. State, played at Memphis. 
uh miha i think was a good we've got some we've got some that that would not be easy that's for sure mm-hmm. this is what i'm saying and it's all the setup for the inevitable like drift tie tucker matchup like something <laughs> serious on the line blood will be drawn um yeah. but yeah all right last one for you and again it, it's sort of silly lawless lineups because we talk about the rankings and whatever and you know crafting your lineup is part of the it's part of the coaching fun i say we just go lawless home away team submits beforehand home team can match up however they want let's double down on making home tennis exciting it would be exciting i would (laughs) say that my, my my number one against that is just uh how it hurt development. I think it hurts sure. development of, of your pr- program, but I've got one for you since I'm not going to agree with yours on that. You get at least one, you can, you can maybe argue for more, but one, one thought I have when we talk about tennis and making it exciting and whatever, a little bit world team tennis, substitutions. I would, I mean, we, we should implement that tomorrow. Yeah. I, I would, mean, I would, I think um, it's so silly that if a player gets injured in a match, you can't just replace them right away. It's yeah, like, I have a bench right here. Yeah, substitutions, 100%. Uh, I think it would help. I really help it being fun, not funny. I think it would help our game mm-hmm. as a lot as far as the development. Mm-hmm. Uh, no lapses team. in concentration, right? Otherwise, you're pulling them. Yeah. I mean, how, how often does do coaches in other sports use substitutions to make a point, to help the growth of their team, to hold their players accountable, and to also give players that aren't getting to play the thought of being ready. I have to be ready. So on both sides, it helps the players that are out of the lineup. It helps the players that are in it 100%. That would be my number one thing when we talk about uh, changes of, of, of formats or whatever. My number one thought is substitution. I am all in with you there. Well, Coach, I'm going to reserve the right to bring you back on the show to talk 2019, uh, but I sincerely do appreciate your candidness and thoughtfulness on all of these issues. And, you know, obviously— No, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Thanks for having us on, Alex. Oh, of course. And again, it's very clear the momentum you guys are building uh, down in Lawrence. And I'm going to uh, get—my goal is to hit all of these campuses at some point, if not this year, over the course of the next couple of years. But— uh, again, we will be rooting for you all and wishing you all safety, health, and, of course, success in 2022. So thank you well, for taking the time. I appreciate what you do for college tennis and, and your passion for it. It's obviously evident. And if you haven't ever been to Lawrence, Kansas, we are one of the best college towns in the country. So uh, get you down on Mass, Mass, Mass Street and get you to a game. You'll you'll be you'll be a, uh, you'll be excited about it. I promise. I love it. And look, I rock chalk. So I'm in. I know. But thank thank you again, Coach. Be safe. Be healthy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.